0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable, Jesus is teaching us to love our neighbor, whoever is near or around us, as we certainly do love ourselves. Every one of us loves ourselves. We all take time to prioritize our own lives, our own wants, and our own needs every day. Do you love others in this way? Do you prioritize other people's lives and needs and desires and interests as you do your own? Are you a good Samaritan? Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 10 and learn what it means to truly love our neighbor as we certainly do love ourselves. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Sunday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him. Right, Becky? I, uh, Becky sent a text yesterday, a group text to, to my wife and I and my man Rap. And, uh, man, she said that, uh, the more, the more Jesus we put in us, the more Jesus will come out of us, and that—that's a good word, lady. Um, the more Jesus we put in, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you know. The more, the more you store up Jesus in you, the more, the more Jesus will come out of you, and the more you'll grow to be like Him. And the uh, the primary way we do that is by spending time in the Scriptures. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in thanksgiving, and thanksgiving is just when you're praying, you're just thanking uh, the Trinity. You're thanking your Heavenly Father. You're thanking the Lord Jesus. You're thanking the Holy Spirit. Instead of asking for things, you're just being thankful. So we spend time in prayer. We spend time in thanksgiving. We spend time in praise and worship and fellowship and community. Um, but above all, it's spending time in the Word of God right? Uh, Reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, and above all, obeying the Word of God. Um, And, you know, and listening to, you know, good sound teachings of the Word of God, whether it be a church, whether it be a Bible study, whether it be online or what have you. So, thank you, Lord Jesus. This is how we grow to know Jesus and fill ourselves up with more Jesus, right? Thank you, Lord. All right, today, uh, the plan is, is to do Luke 10, 23 to 42. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we will get rolling. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you that we have these scriptures, Father. We thank you that we have the, the living word of God, Father. We thank you, Lord, for, for your word here in Luke 10. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Father, your word would mean nothing without Jesus, the living word of God. So Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you, we praise you. We thank you for becoming a human man for us, Lord Jesus, for dying a torturous death for us, for living a perfect life for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Luke 10, starting in verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just, uh, just strong stuff there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. All right. Verse 23, it says, um, then he turned to his disciples now before this in verse 21 it says at this time jesus full of joy through the holy spirit said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children yes father for this was your good pleasure okay and we talked last time when he says that these things have been hidden from the wise and learned it's not saying that just because um, you, you, you know, you are intellectual just because you have a high intelligence, just because you walk in wisdom that the things of God are hidden from you. What it's saying is it's, it's, it's when you believe, when you carry yourself, like you have understanding, when you, when you, when you speak, like you have knowledge, when you speak as if like a scientist who wants to say, you know, there is no God and you, you, you know, you imagine yourself to be wise and learned more so than the Bible, more so than Jesus, then certainly the truth of Christ is hidden from you, okay? Anyone who believes that they're right and Jesus is wrong is, is obviously foolish, right? Childish and immature. Um, and, and again, it's, it, it's, it's a preposterous thing. Now, now, all of us have spoken foolishly, right? All of us have said things we shouldn't say. I mean, all of us have, have spoken out of turn right? But we just want to repent, right? If there's just places in your life where you're saying, I disagree with the Bible or I disagree with something Jesus says, again, certainly I've said uh, countless foolish things that I shouldn't have said, right? But simply just go back and repent. You just said, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for just my foolish words, Lord. And, and just agree with the word of God, right? Agree with Jesus. Don't, don't believe something that's contrary to to the Bible. Okay. Humble yourself, go before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand what's being said here. I don't understand how, you know, what this means in the Bible. And then go out and get learning as to what, you know, other people who have given their lives to studying the word of God talk about in the different passages or places in scripture that seem to be confusing. Right. I mean, it's remarkable. Okay. People can have spent, you know. They can have spent 30 minutes of their whole life in the Bible. They could have spent an hour in the Bible. Maybe they, maybe one time they read the Bible through in their life, right? So they have they have about 5, 6, 10, 12 hours of their life, right? Sewed into the Bible, right? And yet they speak like they're an authority, okay? Now, obviously, that's an absurdity. Would you do that with anything else, Junior, right? Would you go out, would you go to a brain surgeon, right, if he had 12 hours that he had studied brain surgery? No, you'd want someone with thousands of hours, someone who had gone through immense study, right? Someone who had tremendous experience in dealing with it. But yet when it comes to the things of God, you know, pretty much everybody thinks they can have an opinion. Now you can, but it is equally as foolish, if not more foolish, right? Than than having an opinion on brain surgery or heart surgery when you yourself have done about, you know, five, six hours of research on brain surgery and heart surgery, and you yourself have never done it, okay? Um, obviously, if you, if, you, if you needed a heart transplant or you needed brain surgery, you would go and seek out someone, a man or woman, that had, had, had 20, 30, 40 years experience in understanding these things, someone who was trained, someone who had given themselves to it, right? So, Verse 22, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father, and no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then it says in 23, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Verse 24, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see But did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This was an incredible, incredible, incredible time. Okay. Um, You know, Jesus had just sent out the the 72, right? Um, You know, and it says in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. And so here he's still talking to the 72. And he says, then he turned to, so he's turning to these 72 disciples. This is not the 12 disciples now. He turns to the 72 um, and he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Meaning this was an incredibly special time. I was, uh, I was having breakfast this morning with my big sister Alicia and she listens to all the teachings um, and, she, and she, you know, she was asking a question about this and, and she bought my breakfast. Thank you again, Alicia, for breakfast. Um, it was delicious. Nice diner we, we eat at here in Texas. Um, normally I go there with my brother Jason, but he wasn't there this morning. Um, but he says to the 72, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. To, to have lived at this time, to have lived during the three and a half years of Jesus's earthly ministry is certainly a, a blessing that is incomprehensible, right? When you go back to the last 2,000 years or three, four, five, six thousand 6,000 years, but if you could have lived at any time, right, to have lived during the time and been around Jesus and been able to actually see and hear Jesus, the son of God, God, the son and to be with him and to, and to see the miracles that he did, just to see the power that emanated from him, to see his love, to understand that you're witnessing the Messiah, the Savior, to live during this time and to actually be around Jesus during this time, to be one of his disciples during that time, Jesus is explaining to them is, is an incomprehensible blessing, Right. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Verse 24, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Many prophets and kings, Moses would have liked to see what Jesus was doing and to to hear it, right? Abraham would have liked to see. Now, they, they knew that the Savior was coming, but they didn't get to live during that time right? Isaiah would've liked it. Daniel would've liked it. Ezekiel would've liked it. Samuel would've liked it, right? Um, Jeremiah would've liked it, right? Malachi would've liked it. Micah would've liked it. Abadiah would've liked it. Jonah would've liked it, right? Hosea would've liked it. All the Old Testament prophets, right? Zechariah would've liked it, right? Um, all of these men of God in the Old Testament, all of these prophets would have liked it. Many prophets and kings, King David, right? King David would have, would have given anything to see Jesus and to hear Jesus, right? And so there is an immense privilege that these disciples had, but it's the same for us today. If you, if you, if you understand the gospel here, right, Jesse. If if you if you truly understand Christ, Stephen, if you understand the Word of God, there is a blessing in that. If you have eyes that see and understand the Savior, Uncle Dennis. If you have ears that hear Corinne and are able to understand Jesus and to understand, you know, the Bible to understand these teachings, it, it's an immense privilege, right, for us that understand the scriptures, those that, that understand. I remember a time, you know, I, I didn't become a Christian until I was around 27 or 28 years old and going on 53. So it's been around 25 years. You know, I've been walking with Jesus almost half my life, but there was a time I didn't understand any of it. None of it made sense to me. Um, you know, I was just a, you know, a guy born and raised Catholic, made my communion and doing the things, going to church now and again. And, you know not such a bad guy, right? Did did not understand what it meant that I was a sinful man. I didn't understand that the Bible clearly stated that I was a hopeless, helpless, desperate sinner. And that's why God, the son, Jesus became a human man and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect, torturous death for me and rose from the dead. And that without Jesus, without Without me genuinely trusting and relying and receiving Jesus into my heart, only eternal hell awaits, right? I, I didn't understand that, right? Do you have that understanding today? Have you received Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior? John 1.12 says, uh, Alicia, right? Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Okay. Um, You know, many people will say, well, I believe in Jesus. Intellectual assent to Jesus, believing that Jesus exists is not the same as receiving Jesus. It's not the same as trusting in Jesus, relying on Jesus, clinging to Jesus, right? For the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? Have you called out to Jesus? Have you humbled yourself before him? Have you asked him to come into your heart and to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin? Knowing your hopelessness, your helplessness, and your desperation, knowing that without him, without him, only eternal hell awaits. Again, it's not your words that save you. It's Christ that saves you. But you do use your words We use our words to to communicate, you know, that's how we pray, right? We use our words to communicate our heart to the Lord. So if you're not sure, just go before the Lord now and humble yourself. And in in a state of genuine humility, again, knowing your hopelessness without Jesus, just go before him and just pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinful person. Lord Jesus, I know that I've done wrong. I know that I'm a sinner and that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that you you came into this world and lived a perfect life, even for me, and died a perfect death on the cross, even for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, you are alive and risen today. And therefore I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's a Christian, right? Someone who prays that prayer and means it, right? Someone who prays that prayer and sincerely knows their need of Christ their desperate need of Christ and, and calls out to Jesus, right? Humbles themselves at the foot of the cross and desperately calls out to Jesus for salvation will be saved, okay? Romans 10, 13, it's a promise. God has given his word. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? Now, like I said, obviously, when the scripture says that, it, it doesn't mean you can just say words in a half-hearted fashion or just be disingenuine, but it's calling out from that place of knowing, calling out from that place of desperation. So if you're not sure you're a Christian, again, back up the tape, call on Jesus, use the words I used, but remember, it's the sincerity, the genuineness of your heart that matters, and you will be saved. All right, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is interesting because this guy's an expert in the law. The other version said he's a lawyer, which a lawyer should be an expert in the law. So this would be an expert in the law of God, right? An absolute expert, okay? But you notice it says he was testing Jesus. Um, there, is, there is no testing Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, people are consistently in one way or another trying to test Jesus. Jesus is God. Okay. So this guy is an expert in the law. Jesus wrote the law. Okay. So it'd be like, it's, it'd be like you being an expert on the Constitution, right, today, Right. And and yet you go back to the guys that wrote the Constitution. Right. Those those original fathers. Right. Those original, uh, you know, American fathers who who wrote our Constitution. Right. And, it, you know, now the constitution's not the Bible. It's not inspired by God. But the wisdom in it is there's not words for it. OK. Matter of fact, all the judges today. Right. Their job is to, you know, is to just interpret the Constitution plainly based on how it was written. Right. You're not allowed to make up your own meaning. Right. You're supposed to take, you know, what those guys wrote when they wrote the Constitution. You're supposed to take the meaning they had, of course. Right. You can't just put your own meaning to the words. Right. And you're, you're supposed to govern accordingly. Okay, so. Here we have an expert in the law, but Jesus wrote the law, right? Jesus is God. Jesus gave us the whole Old Testament and the whole New New Testament is inspired by Jesus, by the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, again, this is an expert and he thought he'd test Jesus. Obviously, he doesn't know who he's dealing with. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, eternal life uh, certainly can mean and often means a quantity of life. But more often than not, eternal life in the scriptures can be speaking to a quality of life and not just a quantity of life. So the man here, right, very well may be asking, right, what must I do to have a quality of life that's eternal life? Now there is a chance he's asking, "What must I do to go to heaven?" Right? But I'll say again, eternal life is not simply a a quantity of life. Eternal life is a quality of life. We have eternal life now, right, Becky? It's like we said at the beginning that the more Jesus, ha- the more Jesus you have in you. You know, and what do I mean by that? Meaning the deeper relationship you have with Jesus. Obviously, if you receive Jesus, you have all of Jesus in you. But the more time you spend with Jesus, the more effort you put into your relationship with Jesus, the more you will experience eternal life now. Eternal life is a quality of life right now. And as well as we'll go to heaven and live forever, right? So what this man is asking again um, he could be asking, you know, what must I do to go to heaven? But but he is uh, very possibly and, and probably asking, what must I do to have this quality of life, this kind of eternal life now? In verse 26, Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? What's it say in your Bible? Jesus said. OK, because we know that in our Bible, we don't go to heaven by anything we do. Nothing we do can we add to what Jesus has done. We go to heaven by trusting and relying and receiving Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. We can add nothing to that. Anything I did would only spoil that, right? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, this is the expert in the law now, the lawyer. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and... Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So he's quoting from the Old Testament scriptures, right? Very clearly, Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus, right? Um, he's quoting from the Bible, the lawyer. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live, okay? So do this. The more we love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind, and the more we love our neighbor as ourself, The more life we will have, the more we will experience eternal life in this life. Obviously, none of us does this perfectly, okay? Um, uh, By any means, we're all at a different place in loving the Lord your God with all our heart. We don't love the Lord our God, you know. The vast majority of us as Christians, really all of us as Christians, but the vast majority of us are Christians. This is actually we're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We actually love ourselves with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Okay, um, and so um, you know, some some great authors. Um, you know, a man named Fenelon wrote a lot back in the 1600s about self love. Uh, because we do, right? You can tell what you love the most by what you think about the most, okay? And, and, and all of us, from the moment we wake up, we think about me, my life, my wife, my girlfriend, my troubles, my problems, right? My issues, my fears, my frustrations, my lunch, my ministry, my teaching, right? My fun, right? All day long, Right? We're thinking about ourselves, okay? So to have life, we got to take our mind off ourself and begin to more and more love the Lord our God. Love Jesus more and more with all your heart. Love Jesus more with all your soul. Love Jesus more with all your strength. And love Jesus more with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice, Jesus didn't say, Jesus said that you do love yourself, okay? Again, there's this idea in psychiatry and it certainly worked this way in the church. You may not like yourself, okay? But you absolutely do love yourself, okay? You can tell what you love by what you think about most. So, you know, you know, those people who are in, you know, say we're in depression or we're struggling with our identity or whatever it is, you love yourself completely, right? We're, we're, we're completely absorbed in ourselves, right? Now, again, we may not like ourselves, right? We may have a poor image of ourselves, but when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you do love yourself, okay? Again, w- what you think about most, right? We're wrapped up in ourselves. So everyone loves themselves based on what Jesus is saying here, okay? What Jesus, when Jesus is saying is, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he's saying it to every human being alive, okay? Every human being alive, alive loves themselves the way jesus is speaking about here because what he's saying is the way you think about yourself the way you care for yourself the way you 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 get up and provide for yourself the way that you you know the way that you just um you know provide for your own needs and feed yourself right and entertain yourself and watch the movies you like and do the things your life love your neighbor like that from the time you wake up and you're thinking about your kids and your wife and their needs start thinking about your neighbor and, and his difficulties and his struggles and his problems and you know, how his family and kids and wife are doing, right? Um, just the time that you spend you know, looking to make your life better, think about your neighbor. Think about others like that, right? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live, okay? So, Again, he's not, you can't go to heaven by doing this. Absolutely, right? None of us can go to heaven. None of us have done this perfectly, right? That's why we need a savior, but we will have life. We certainly will have eternal life and we'll experience eternal life now if we will begin to more and more love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and begin to love our neighbor, whoever's near us. As we certainly do love ourselves, begin to make them a priority as we make ourselves a priority. Again, every single human being alive, okay, makes themselves a priority, right? Their lives are in minds and thoughts are wrapped up in their own life, their own feelings, their own desires, their own hurts, their own pains, their own fun, their own wife, their own children, their own bills, their own problems. All day long, I'm thinking about me, my life, my wife, my kids, my money, my ministry, my problems, my frustrations, my fun, my teaching. It's all about me, right? So again, when we take our minds off ourselves. If I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to have to put my mind on him. To do that, I got to take it off me. I'm going to love my neighbor who's ever near me as I'm loving myself. I'm going to have to take my mind off myself and put it on others, right? And their lives, and their troubles, and their problems, and their difficulties. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Okay, so the expert in the law is kind of smart. It's ironic. He, he figures he's okay with loving the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He figures that's okay, so he doesn't bring up that command. But he goes to the second one and says, but he wanted to justify himself. So the so the expert in the law, the lawyer, wants to justify himself. So he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so clearly what he's thinking here, um, right, Peyton, is he's he's thinking, well... I certainly don't. There are a lot of people that I choose not to love as I love myself. There's a lot of people I don't prioritize and look to to be a blessing to them as I look to bless myself. Um, And so he, you know, clearly he knows that he was particular about, you know, who he loved and who he didn't. So he asked Jesus to justify himself and who is my neighbor. Basically, you know, he was he was choosing the people that he would show this kind of selfless love to. And there would be other people that that he didn't, right? So he tries to justify himself. Look Look what happens. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. And this place, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notoriously, you know, ridden. People normally would not go alone it would normally go in a caravan or a group of people because there was safety in numbers. So, you know, historical context tells us, right, Jose, that this, this particular journey was, was often riddled with thieves. And so people generally wouldn't travel alone. So it says he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So now again, this is a Jewish priest, right? Again, this was an expert in the law. This guy was clearly a Jew, right? That was talking to Jesus. And now Jesus is giving them this story, right? Um, And it says a priest happened to be going down the road. Now a priest is someone who above all you would expect, every person is obligated to do this, right? When when Jesus puts someone in front of you, and again, there is some opportunity, we ought to do, you know, we ought to do what we can to, to, to help out the person, right? Generally, throughout our lives and throughout our days, normally it's people we're in relationship. Again, we have an opportunity to be a blessing and, and to help. Okay. And again, all of us as Christians, we ought to have times where, where we're receiving this type of help. But also there ought to be times where you're giving. Far more often, you ought to be giving this type of help and not only receiving it, right? There are many people who are consistently receiving, but they're they're rarely giving, right? And then there are some who are always giving and they don't receive as they ought to, right? A priest happened to be going down the same road. Now this is this is insulting when Jesus sets this up because here goes down a Jewish priest, right? Who certainly should know better. It says, and it says and when he saw the man, again the man who had been beaten and left half dead, He passed by on the other side, so he didn't do anything to help him, okay? Verse 32, so to a Levite, okay, so now this is, again, an absolute Jew, someone who had the Bible, you know, someone who knew that it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, just totally left the man, right? Didn't care nothing about him. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, Now this is important. Um, Jews and Samaritans, there, I mean, this was a, a, a real racism beyond anything that we've ever known. This was a, an utter hatred, right? Um, and certainly there is a, you know, certainly there are elements of racism in the world today. Everyone is not racist, right? But there are elements of racism and racism is evil. Racism is sin, Okay. Um, The only solution, I've said this before, for all evil, for all injustice, for all racism, for all racism, for all social inequality, um, uh, for all prejudice, the only solution is Christ. Only in Jesus can we find healing for all evil. Okay. And racism is evil. Okay. When you just despise another race, of people, or think you're superior to them, and you hate them for no reason, but because of their race, that's racism, okay? It's evil, and it cannot be fixed without Jesus, okay? Everything else, as I've said before, all the efforts to do it without Jesus is lipstick on a pig, okay? Racism is a pig, okay? It's evil, it's sin, and like any sin, or any evil, or any injustice, it will only be fixed and healed at the cross of Christ. Without Jesus, there's no fixing of any evil of any kind. Okay? Racism included. Jesus says here, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This would have been a, a sharp blow to those listening to Jesus, who were clearly all Jewish The expert in the law is Jewish. And you notice the two people, the two Jewish people had no pity on the man at all. Right. But a Samaritan now, a Samaritan was a half Jew. Right. A Samaritan was someone whose 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 mother or father would have been purely Jewish and whose, you know, the other parent would have been Gentile, non-Jewish. Right. And that that was a Samaritan. Right. Um, And so they were, you know, They were looked upon as a half-breed. They weren't pure Jews. And because of that, the Jews despised them and hated them and looked down on them, right? Were completely racist toward them, right? Um, And the Samaritans, because they were treated this way, were racist against the Jews. And they hated the Jews because they had been so ill-treated by them, right? So when Jesus said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, this would have been notable, Okay, because none of the Jews, the two Jewish guys didn't do what was right. The priest didn't do what was right. The Levite didn't do what was right. But this Samaritan, right, this half breed in the Jewish mind, right, right. He says he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. Wow. OK, so, again, oil and wine would have been, again, for medicinal purposes. Right. Um, and then it says, then he put the man on his own donkey, which means the man himself would have had to walk. Right. So the man couldn't erode his donkey. He would have had to walk because he put the, the man who had been beaten to half dead. It says, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. 35, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, the man even used his money, Okay, took out two silver coins. Scholars say this would have been enough for maybe two to three weeks of, uh, of lodging in the inn. Okay. So this Samaritan, right? The one who 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 is not a pure Jew, right? He comes down, he takes pity on the man and the pity is more than words. Okay? He goes and actually helps the man. Okay? He loves the man. Okay? He helps him in his place of distress, right? He bandages his wounds. He takes the oil and wine he has and he uses them to help the man right then he puts the man on his donkey cuz obviously the man can't walk and he walks so he serves the man and then he uses his money to help the man Jesus is clear in the story right it's unambiguous scott right so this man takes his time his effort and his money to see that this man is taken care of this is a picture of loving your neighbor, right? And again, this is how we want to be. We want to be the good Samaritan, right? You remember the parable of the good Samaritan, right? Um, you know. And so are you a good Samaritan? Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Here is the picture given by Jesus of what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And again, wherever you are, Okay. People will say, yeah, well, I drive by and those people are begging on the street corners. I don't give them nothing. Why not? Why not give them a couple of dollars? Okay. It's not going to hurt you. That's not going to hurt me. I'm not telling them you got to give them 50, a hundred dollars. Right. But you know, just be a blessing. Right. Aren't you blessed that that's not you begging on the street corner? Yes. Again, I'm not saying you got to, got to go to every street corner and find every person that's begging. The point is if something comes into your path And an opportunity comes into your path. That's your neighbor before you. Now, again, I'm not saying to be taken advantage of. If the same person comes and keeps imposing himself on you, obviously you have to use wisdom. Right. But the point is you want to look to be a blessing in whatever way that's needed, obviously within reason. Right. To whomever, whatever situations the Lord puts in front of you. Right. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says, he not only gives him the money, and then he tells the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So not only did he he give the money so he'd get well, but he said, if it costs you more money, I'll pay that too. Verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Good question, right? So now, remember, this is an expert in the law, a lawyer. But remember, Jesus wrote <laughs> these, these commands, right? Um, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Okay. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. My, my favorite statement in the Bible, right, Dave? Go and do likewise, OK, um, so you see who the who the true expert is here, right? The, you know, now, again, this the Bible makes it clear. This is someone who had given themselves and becoming an expert in the Old Testament. Um, you know, the man has to confess the man knows what Jesus has done here. And so the man admits when Jesus says the man was looking to test Jesus. Certainly, Jesus passed the test and the man could justify himself no more. Right, the man wanted to justify himself, so he said, "Who is my neighbor?" The expert in the law replied, "The one who had mercy on him." So again, look to have mercy on those in your life. Right, your neighbors, who's ever nigh to you or near you right now, who's ever around you or near you, and and has a particular need or is hurting or is struggling. Um, again, you want to be a, a neighbor, okay? Um, and again, you know, you too ought to be looking to be a neighbor to all those who are around you, okay? As I've said, oftentimes there, there can be an issue where someone is consistently receiving neighborly love but gives very little neighborly love, okay? So you wanna look at your life, okay? First, do you have a lifestyle of loving your neighbor as you love yourself? And you know, when you look at how concerned you are about yourself and your life, and how your marriage is going, or how things are going with your boyfriend, or with your girlfriend, or how you know things are going with your children and their school. When you just look at the priority you make that, right? And in your own interests, right? The things you're interested in, your life and your family, right? I, I mean, what how do you show that kind of interest in other people's lives and other people's needs? Okay. Obviously, anyone who hears that right rap should know, you know, we need to do a better job at that. Right. And then, you know, also you want it. You want to be at a place where, you know, when you're struggling that you, you're willing to receive, you know, neighborly love. Right. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. OK. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And the more we do this. The more we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, the more we will experience an eternal quality of life right now here on earth. Okay? We certainly don't go to heaven by doing any of this, as we've already said. We go to heaven by acknowledging our hopeless, desperate, helpless state, that knowing that without Jesus only hell awaits, and humbling ourselves, throwing ourselves at the foot of the cross. And genuinely receiving Jesus—that's how we go to heaven. But we want to experience a, a, an eternal quality of life now, a, a deepening intimacy with Jesus now. And it's clear we do that by by loving Jesus more and more with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and truly loving our neighbor, loving others as we do love ourselves, prioritizing, prioritizing others and their lives and their needs as we do our own. Verse thirty-eight. that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Now, um, you know, we went through this in John, and this is just an incredible, incredible scene. Jesus had said, loved Martha. Okay. Martha is a woman of God, right? And, And she has a heart to serve Jesus. Okay. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, Mary is is also a woman of God, and she certainly has a heart to serve him, but she's not the servant Martha is, right? But she also has the heart to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words, right? Listening to Jesus speak. When Jesus speaks, he's speaking the word of God. You want to have the best of Martha and the best of Mary, okay? Jesus is not emboldening laziness here. He's not, uh, you know, he's not validating laziness or indifference Or Mary not helping. Um, But you want to have the best of both, okay? You want to have the best of Martha, a heart to serve Jesus, right? And the way we serve Jesus is by serving his kingdom and serving his people, right? With our time, talents, and money. Um, But you also want to have a lifestyle of consistently sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. Spending time in your Bible, right? Listening to good, sound Bible teaching, right? Verse 40. So Mary's at the Lord's feet, 39, listening to the word of God, listening to what Jesus was saying. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. You have a lifestyle of sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his word, studying his word. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And you know. How often I've been distracted, May, right? How often we can be distracted, Chloe, by just all the different things that have to be made, right? Jason, all the different preparations, right, Chris? Just everything we're trying to prepare to do, everything that's going on in our life, right? Can be just a consistent distraction from, from spending time with Jesus. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And look at, you know, when we're distracted, when we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, we can lose a little perspective. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's my girl Martha right there, right? So she's off put with Jesus, right? And all of us who have walked with Jesus have been disappointed and been frustrated. And if you have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, you've probably experienced some frustration with him, right? The deeper our relationship, often we don't understand the things that Jesus allows in our lives. And we can be frustrated. We can be irritated. Look what she says to him. Lord, don't you care? She's talking to Jesus. Yes, Jesus does care about Martha. Okay, Jesus loves Martha in a way she'll never understand. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work and and, and you or I, you know, when things are difficult for us, we can often feel that that God doesn't care, that our heavenly father doesn't care, that the Lord Jesus doesn't care, that the Holy Spirit doesn't care. We have a triune God, right? One being, right? One God, but three distinct separate persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're all God. And in, in Jesus, if you're in Christ today, if you genuinely receive Christ, you have a relationship with each member of that Trinity. And sometimes when things are difficult, we could say the same thing. Lord, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care about what's going on in my life? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And she orders Jesus, right? She boldly orders Jesus. Tell her to get up and stop listening to you and help me. Um, um, it's so cool because Jesus doesn't, doesn't, get, doesn't feel disrespected. Jesus' pride doesn't raise up and say, lady, don't talk to me that way, right? Um, this is an extremely bold way, but, but this woman has relationship with Jesus, okay? Now, again, nowhere is there, are we saying it's okay to be disrespectful to Jesus, Okay, by any means. But she's being real. She's sharing her heart and her hurt and her pain with Jesus. And that's something we need to do. We need to have a lifestyle of just genuinely sharing what's in our heart with Jesus. He knows what's in there, Esther, right? He knows what's in our heart, Gwenda, right? Look what he says to her. She orders him to help. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. and you And, and you can hear the love in his tone. He uses her name. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. And Jesus knows that Martha's serving him, right? Martha's serving Jesus. And he says, he says her name and listen to your name in that, right? Listen to it. Say Linz, Linz, O'Mella, O'Mella, Mandy, Mandy, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. We do need to serve Jesus as Martha's doing, but, but first we need to sit at his feet and listen to his word. Have you sat at the feet of Jesus? Do you have a lifestyle of sitting at the feet of Jesus? Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So again, we, need, we do need to serve Christ with our time and our talents and our energy. And we Martha's a good example of that. But we also need to be like Mary. Jesus said, you know, that's even better, right? So again, we can't, the more effectively we sit at the feet of Jesus, and certainly Martha had, Martha had a lifestyle of listening to Jesus, but she was distracted. And when we get distracted, you know, oftentimes we don't spend time at the feet of Jesus. We don't spend time studying his word, listening to his word, being taught his word, right? Memorizing his word and above all, obeying his word. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Right? Jesus will never take it away from you. If you're in Jesus today, you have the opportunity to sit at his feet, to open your Bible and to hear the word of God, to spend time reading and studying and meditating on the word of God. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, my, uh, my daughter's birthday is, uh, tomorrow. They will be 27 years old. And I'm thankful for my daughters, Kristen and Lauren, and just the, uh, the beautiful godly children they've become. I'm thankful for my son-in-law, Nathan, and for whatever, whatever man of God, the Lord has for my daughter, Lauren. So happy birthday girls. I love you. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have these scriptures. We thank you for the holy scriptures. Father, I do ask you to forgive me where where I have not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and where I have consistently failed to love my neighbor as I love myself. Father, I ask you to help me today, and Kristen, and Lauren, and all of us, Father, one and all, to love you more and more with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength, and help us, Father, to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord Jesus, forgive us where we've taken these things for granted, Lord, where we get to live in a time where you live in us, Lord, where many prophets, even kings, would love to have you living in them, but they didn't live in that time. So, Lord, um, we just love you and bless you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts. We ask you to give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him and hearts that understand him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.